love how distraught both you and Fergus are over this situation and brings me joy as a as a storyteller because I'm a bad person there was one major detail that I did forget to say in my last recording because I was wrapped up with trying to remember all these other things the ending of uh, what we're now calling Horatio when he came and visited you and his past before you went to Stringersburg. The way time had rewritten it that you remembered was he was threatening you and just kind of had a breakdown and just said he didn't want to exist and made you swear that you and Powder Girl would never create him. And you said yes, and he shot you with a dart of some kind, and then you remember him kind of fading out of existence. But now that you recall correctly, it was uh, not quite so peaceful. He had separated himself into multiple copies, one of which just kind of sat back and watched enjoyably as other multiple copies assaulted you and Powder Girl. And right before the, the final blows were struck, you know, he had Powder Girl's head under his foot and was slowly crushing her skull and with Fergus was uh, metaphorically, psychically, and uh, physically tearing his mind apart, you know, your brain. And right before you all were killed, he was just sucked out of existence. And then you remember now time being rewritten to various other degrees where you were uninjured and it was a much more peaceful ending. So you remember that. Um, sorry, I forgot that previously. And you spend time. Uh, okay. Uh, you're in the mental space with the Felis lupus character and you dominate it and tell it to feel shame and it cowers and tucks its tail and pees a little bit and kind of gives this low uh, it's not a, a bow exactly but it's a you know it's kind it, it kind of looks like a bow but it's a it's cowering in some some sense but as soon as you, you do that, it snaps back out of it. And it bears its teeth at you and then just whoosh, is, is gone out of the psychic space. And you're kind of looking around at all the other individuals and they kind of look a bit chagrined. And, you know, four of them just kind of 
fade out similar to the the, the other character and one of them kind of looks at you and shrugs just like sorry there's we just doesn't matter how many of us band together we we just can't stand against him and that individual fades out and drew looks at you and puts a hand on your your shoulder and um I'm sorry. He has quite the reputation for being effective and ruthless. But also brilliant. That is why others follow him. He has shown kind sides to those he favors. But it was clearly put out and rather often that he is not one to be trifled with. And he says, please come, and fades out. And you fade out, and we'll start a montage of Rue kind of teaching you, you know, from the ground up. Um, some of it you have instinctually figured out, but... Um, I imagine that Fergus takes it all in stride and um, begins to learn subtleties and telepathy and, um, you know, whatever Rue can afford. And maybe Rue's got some other psychic friends that he helps bring in, you know, as long as, as long as Horatio doesn't find out. You know, they put that out because word in the community kind of quickly s spreads as to uh, what your ambitions are. But yeah, Fergus begins the to actually control and understand uh, the telepathy and kind of how it's tied into the mind control. Um, you know same same house different room if you will and then you begin to you know in between these training sessions and everything that we can say that this is kind of simultaneous you just start trying to manipulate everything which is has is becoming second nature to you instead of you grabbing something with your hand you know that it's your your telekinesis and everything. So I'll leave it to you aesthetically as if, I mean, does Fergus quit kind of using his body except in certain circumstances or does he use it more uh, the same? Like that's just kind of an aesthetic that I'm curious about. But yeah, you, you are, trying these buildings and the pieces of the buildings and stuff inside and the doors and doorknobs and, you know, motes of dust that you see move past you and, uh, you know, bits of air and you try and you try and you try and you only come across four objects, which your telekinesis is, is unable to affect. One of them it is able to 
effect, but it's just too heavy. It's a it's a small. You're a couple of days outside of uh, the city, and you're in a um, pretty heavy wood. You know all of these old growth trees coming up and you know this very verdant green land but where it's old growth it doesn't have a lot of uh undergrowth in it or anything. not that you have a problem moving around and things like this but you come to a clearing and there's a a small crater that's probably about 12 feet deep and you look and in the center of the crater is this small purplish black uh, hycosagon? It's a it's a twelve it's a twenty sided figure. It's like a twenty sided die. Um, and you try to affect it. It's just it's so dense. Like this object just. You don't know how much it weighs, but it just, it's ridiculous. Uh, you can't even get it to budge. Like you can, you know that your telekinesis is wrapping around it, but it's just, uh, the mass of this object is just, or not the mass, but the density of this object is just off the charts. Uh, so tell me if you want to do, try anything with that. The... Next object that you come across, which is actually uh, two of the four, you just find it in two separate places. Uh, one of it is a building made completely out of this substance. It's like a, it's an inanimate bioorganic material. Um, it's kind of got this uh, greenish yellow coloration. Uh, it's got a hard texture, uh, although it kind of glistens it looks like it kind of has some moisture to it but there's no there's nothing that kind of wicks away uh, so it's almost i guess it's more of like an iridescent uh, kind of feel to it you know it's green and then when the light hits it it's got this yellow sheen which makes it kind of look wet uh, and you find an entire building of it and then you find like a a small like forearm size chunk uh, and it's right outside of that second city uh, that you find and it's you there's just nothing uh your telekinesis can't can't touch it um and and this kind of ties in um as well your mind control like there's it, it's kind of like when you were in presence realm there's a handful of individuals that have just trained there's some that are just naturally immune and some of them whose minds are just so banana cakes that you, you just can't get a good grip on them uh, and one individual who is a mixture of both actually lives inside of this this building that you find and you kind of assume this because their their nature feels very similar. Like whenever you try to grasp this, like you can kind of get a 
metaphysical can't talk metaphysical uh, impression as to why you're slipping through it like everything kind of has this this nature when you grasp it like just when like when you grasp something with your physical hand like you can tell different textures and whatnot and this with your telekinesis kind of has the same thing and this individual has a mixture of both you can't mentally control them and you can't affect them with your telekinesis either which is this is the only individual that you've come across uh, that you can't and they're they, they're kind of insect-like they're hunched over uh, they've got like the backwards pointing legs and they've got this long drawn out head um, spindly arms and they've got like a second set of smaller arms But they're kind of the inverse of this material. They're yellow with like an iridescent purple sheen. See it and it's got like a mixture of a mouth and, and kind of mandibles around it and everything and it clicks and uh, whistles to itself. And if you want to investigate this individual further, let me know and I'll, I'll give you some more details. And then the last material you find that you find that's ineffective against your uh, telekinesis is this metal and it looks exactly like the metal of the suit that your son wears it's this goldish bronzish bronzish material bit of yellow to it and you just there's something about its its composition that it feel it feels ephemeral to you. Like you just can't you just can't grasp it. Yeah, so points you remember a bit more about your son, about Horatio. You practice your telekinesis, and I'll, I'll say you build a bit of rapport with a couple of the other psychics in the world, and we can go into that if you want to. You find three different materials, four places total, of materials that your telekinesis can affect, and one individual where your telekinesis and mind control don't affect this this individual montage montage so as Fergus trains and gets better and better at telepathy I think the bonds that he builds with other psychics in this area are on sort of a grudging respect for a fellow craftsman sort of level obviously he didn't get anybody to really like him during that initial encounter and he shamed that one character. So I figure if anyone has any respect for him, it's like, well, he's an asshole, but he really knows what he's doing. Fergus thinks of this artistically. He's thinking of his psychic powers as his craft now. Or an aspect of his craft, anyway. So he's like, you know, they don't have to like me, but anyone who can see me work has to respect me. That's what he figures is going on. 
when he gets to a point where he feels like he's able to do so safely, he's going to sort of turn his telepathy inward. He's going to really investigate his own mind and his own memories about the initial encounter with Horatio. I mean, the fact that he didn't remember them before is distressing to him. And that makes him wonder, like, what else have I locked away, or, or what else is hidden from my conscious mind in my unconscious? So he's going to go rooting through his own mind, through his unconscious, looking for anything else about Horatio that's in there, or about Powder Girl, for that matter. When he does that, he'll... It'll be some evening, if there is evening in this place, and he'll ask Eriruru to sit with him and sort of watch over him. He's like, I... He'll say, There are things about myself I... I need to know. And I don't... trust anyone else to... Could you... Could I ask you to keep watch on me? As I go in. So there's that. As he discovers these objects that he can't manipulate, once he finds out for sure that he can't affect them, he's going to try and determine if they're being actively shielded or if it's just some property of their nature. I mean, what he's really looking for is something that has a, a connection to Horatio. So when he finds the fourth one, the sort of oracalcum, <coughs> uh, goldish, bronzish metal that he can't quite get a grip on, um, he's going to very slowly and carefully investigate everything around it. Like, where is this piece of metal? Is it worked into any kind of shape? Does it seem to belong to someone? Um, obviously he wants to study it, so if it's unguarded and no one seems to be paying any attention to it, he will take it, but, um, if it's, I mean, especially since he recognizes it from Horatio's suit, he assumes that there's a connection, and he doesn't want to tip his hand, so he will be as slow and subtle and careful as he needs to be study that thing without giving away what he's up to. Um, and that, of course, would include using people as puppets. Um, he might, you know, like, it, I don't know what form it's in, but if it were just, like, lumps of ore or something, if it's, like, in a kind of raw form, then he might, you know, just subtly over time have a group of puppets, like, move into that area and build up structures around it, you know? He'll start, like, a whole little enterprise of some kind. Suddenly, these nine people from across Future's territory become really interested in, um, I don't know, playing some kind of game or transacting some sort of business with each other. I don't know. He'll make some excuse for these people to start an organization, and for the organization to need its own space, and for that space to be the space where this metal is. Like, if it takes years, that's fine. 
Um, time doesn't really seem to count here, so he's just going to take the long way every time. He is interested in that insect person. He will uh, respectfully try to start a conversation. I'm not sure how exactly. I'm assuming his telepathy won't work. I mean, he'll, like, narrow cast his thoughts at this being, see if they pick up on it. Um, because he's assuming that it doesn't necessarily speak humanoid language, and if it does speak humanoid language, it doesn't necessarily speak English. But, you know, he'll try and send thoughts to it, just a polite greeting, and if that doesn't work, then he'll try one out loud. He'll just be like... I mean, the message is just, Hello, I'm Fergus. Who are you? That's all. Let's see what happens from there. 